What a rousing way to start the show. Pro call harem. What? <laughs> Tell the truth. And that's the name of our show tonight on Old Time Rock and Roll. Tell the truth. And here's what we're doing. Let me, hey, by the way, my name is Lee Douglas. Welcome to Old Time Rock and Roll. Don't want to forget that. And tonight's show, very different for me, as this show has been prompted by a lot of calls and emails and questions over the years about certain events that took place during the 1950s and 1960s in rock and roll. And we're going to try to dispel the myths and tell the truth one last time. And we're going to actually go back through so many parts of rock and roll history that maybe some of these you heard, maybe some of those you never believed anyway, you know, but we'll go through them all. Now, the first one, and this one is kind of interesting because I was there for the show. And the, the question basically was asked that 
group by the name of Gino and Gina had a record called It's Been a Long Time, Pretty Baby. And it was told that on the show, Gina and Gino were out, out there, and Gino came out with his fly open. And that everybody caught it, and he did it on purpose. Okay. Not true. I was there when it happened, as they say. And basically, he came out, and he just didn't. <laughs> this is strange. He did not. Um, <laughs> he didn't. I guess what do they call it? You know, I go. You know, they, there's a little lock on a zipper when you zip it up, and I guess he didn't do it, and it just popped right open as he was, you know, jumping on stage with Gina, and Gina, being a trooper, she saw it first, and she actually turned around and covered him while he zipped it up without missing a beat of the song. Here's Gino and Gina, and it's been a long time. Pretty baby Pretty baby It's been a long time I'm crying For your love I've been trying It's been a long time Do what do want It's been a long time We have a party
Lee, thank you for hosting me on Old Time Rock and Roll. It's incredible that almost 20,000 people each month download your show. That's quite an audience. This month, I'd like to discuss taking control of your retirement investments. Most of what has been drilled into our heads about investing in mutual funds, CDs, and diversifying is nothing but smoke and mirrors. It seems like the banks, the stockbrokers, and financial planners are the ones making all the money. Most people do not know that they can set up their own self-directed IRA or 401k and invest directly in real estate, oil and gas, precious metals, or even make a loan to their nephew to start a business, and those earnings accumulate directly into their self-directed retirement account. Basically, they have cut out the middleman. If any of your listeners want to learn more about how to do this, have them go to www.clicktoadvantage.com. That's www.click2advantage.com or call me at 281-826-4476. Lee, thanks for hosting me. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance, that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver with every paper I'd deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day The music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry And then good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of love and do
stole his thorny crown The courtroom was adjourned Dreamed, but not a word was spoken. 
The church bells all were broken And the three men I admire most The Father, Son and the Holy Ghost They caught the last train for the coast The day the music died And they were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And them good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die They were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die All right, of course, you know that's Don McLean's American Pie. There have been so many different myths about these about the surroundings of this song and everything else i thought i'd at least put a few of them to rest the first thing is that american pie was really the name of the aircraft that is not true in fact in 1999 Don McLean himself gave a public press release saying that he actually created the term American Pie. And at that time, that just had a number. That plane just had a number. Also, rumors are persisting right and left as to who originally was supposed to be on that plane. Dion claims he was. And everybody still alive seems to claim that they were part of this and lost through a uh, toy coin toss or whatever. The truth was the only person that was not supposed to be on the plane was Richie Valens. Now, Richie Valens was ill. He had a cold. He had a really bad cold, and he didn't think he could make it, and he did take Waylon Jennings' seat. Now, Waylon Jennings was part of Buddy Holly's backup band, they were not the crickets, of course. The crickets were had broken up. And the word was also that the crickets were going to reunite with Buddy Holly at the next stop. Of course, that never happened. And uh, that is true. But it was Waylon Jennings, and he still feels guilty today. Interesting. But what can you tell? What, what can I say more than that? Let's play some Buddy Holly. <laughs> Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye, yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry, you say you're gonna leave, you know it's a lie, cause that'll be the day when I die, well, you give me all your loving and your the hurt of loving, all your hugs and kisses and your money to a hell, you know you love me, baby, Tell me maybe that someday will all be true Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye Yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry You say you're gonna leave, you know it's a lie cause 
you make me cry You say you're gonna leave You know it's a lie Cause that'll be the day When I die well When Cupid's shot is dark He shot it at your heart So if we ever part Then I'll leave you You sit and hold me And you tell me boldly That someday Well I'll be through Well that'll be the day When you say goodbye, yes, that'll be the day When you make me cry, you say you're gonna leave You know it's a lie, cause that'll be the day When I die, well, that'll be the day That'll be the day That'll be the day That'll be the day All right, Buddy Holly, that'll be the day. Next myth. Now, this one I don't think is completely um, accepted because I think most people who know rock and roll know that Roy Orbison indeed was not blind. And actually, in early releases and in early television performances, he didn't wear any glasses at all when he was with the uh, the kings he didn't have any glasses at all and he did need them and later on he began to realize especially after his wonderful movie uh the greatest uh, the what is it the fastest guitar player in the west or something like that he um he gave up his buddy holly horn rim glasses so to speak for the sunglasses, and he really did look better with the sunglasses on. But no, he was not blind, and the sunglasses had nothing to do with any drug addiction that he had or anything else. He just looked better. Here's Roy from his early days with Ubi Doobie and 1961 Running Scared. Hey baby, jump over here when you do the ooby dooby. I'm on the scene here, ooby dooby, 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 ooby doo
Well, you wiggle and you shake like a big rattlesnake. You do do be do be till you think I'm all afraid. Do be do be. Destination. Did you leave a trace? 
That last one was a great one. Not heard a lot. Called Heartbreak Radio. Roy Orbison. How much will you spend on your next vacation? $1,000? $2,000? More? Every year, the cost of traveling goes up and up. You travel less while spending more and more money. Here's the way I stretch my vacation dollars. By booking some of the fabulous deals through Vacation Consultants International. How would you like to spend four days in Las Vegas on the Strip for only $49? Or an all-inclusive resort stay for five days and four nights at a five-star resort hotel in beautiful Cancun for only $399, including all meals, drinks, taxes, and tips? How about a three- or four-day stay in the Wisconsin Dells or Branson, Missouri at a resort with an indoor water park for only $59? Maybe you want to stay in Atlantic City. Cape Cod or sunny Orlando, take a tip from me and call one of the friendly operators at Vacation Consultants International at 877-251-4595 for the very best deals on resort accommodation. VCI has destinations all over the United States and some great international destinations as well. All you have to do to start planning your next vacation is make that call. 877-251-4595. I know you're gonna love it. This is probably, of all the songs, this one is the hardest one to argue because Everybody has their own opinion. But, you know, I'm not a naive person, but I have to be honest with you. Uh, I have never in my life taken drugs. I'm talking, I went through the 60s as clean and straight as I am today. Swear to God. Never took drugs. I mean, that's just me. 
But this story haunted this song almost from the very beginning. Puff the Magic Dragon was supposed to be about drugs. And, of course, the word puff, of course, and the magic qualities and all of this stuff. But this is not what was intended. Here is, once and for all, the truth about Puff the Magic Dragon. Back in 1959, there, were, there was a Cornell Law student named Lenny Lipton. And while reading Ogden Nash's poem, The Tale of the Custard Dragon, Lenny realized that his childhood was gone forever. I think we all realize that at some time in our lives. We realize we got to grow up and that all those great things. And if you'll notice, if you try and go back and watch some of these great cartoon shows that we had when we were kids and how wonderful they were, if you try and look at them now, they, you could say, my God, did I really watch that? Well, this was the same way. And it was. So Lenny went to see his good friend, uh, whose name was also Lenny. In fact, Len Lenny Adelstein was his name. He went for a visit. No one was home, but in true 1950s fashion, no one ever locked the doors. So Adelstein went in and just happened to wait around for, for his friend and saw the typewriter. And he started writing his poem about his boyhood memories on Lenny's typewriter. Now, here's the interesting part. Edelstein's roommate was a guy by the name of Peter Yarrow, who found the poem a couple of years later and was so impressed by it, he put music to that poem. Now, years later, they did record Puff the Magic Dragon, and it was an absolute smash hit. But Yarrow himself said that in 1959, when he found this, no college student that he knew was smoking pot in 1959. Now, I'm not going to say that it didn't happen later, because, folks, <laughs> uh, Peter Yarrow was not known for the straight and narrow as he continued his career. But at that time... No one smoked pot. So this song was written way back, as it was said, in 1959. Here is Peter, Paul, and Mary. Puff the Magic Dragon. Puff the Magic Dragon by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu. Little Jackie Paper loved that rascal pup and brought him strings and sealing wax and other fancy stuff. Oh, Puff the Magic Dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu. Puff the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Honolulu. Together they would travel on a boat with Bill. 
frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanalee. Up the magic dragon, lived by the sea, and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanalee. A dragon lives forever, but not so little boys. Painted wings and giant's rings make way for other toys. One gray night it happened. Jackie Paper came no more, and puff that mighty dragon. He ceased his fearless roar. His head was bent in sorrow. Green scales fell like rain. Puff no longer went to play along the cherry lane without his lifelong friend. Puff could not. This is one of the sillier myths. This is a silly story. And what's best about it is I happened to be at the show that night. Here's the way it went down. Little Richard made one appearance on Alan Freed's rock and roll show. In 1957, just before he quit and went into the monastery, as he was calling it back then, he, when religion finally called him back in 1957, he made this appearance at Alan Freed's. It seemed that during one of his performances, Little Richard clasped his heart, screamed, and fell into the orchestra pit. Now, a couple of things are wrong with that. First of all, Little Richard did not have a heart attack. But he certainly did have a way about him of, of not caring what he was told to do. And he would play games a lot and, and make believe like he collapsed on the stage and, and, and so forth. And then, you know, almost like a few years later, remember how James Brown would come out when he would do his uh, song, Please Don't Go, and he would collapse and they would pick him up and carry him out and then he would throw off the his cape and come back to the microphone and do it again. Well, basically, Little Richard was doing something like that. In addition, if anybody says that he fell into the orchestra pit, that was impossible because here's the way it was. The orchestra was behind the performers, and the performers were actually singing and performing in the orchestra pit. And here's how it was, because in both the New York and Brooklyn Paramount theaters, the orchestra pit would actually rise up and be at the same level as the rest of the stage. So there was no way, even if he did that, could he tumble into the orchestra pit. 
So that's impossible. Here's little Richard. Go to town and marry about Uncle John. He claimed he has a miserable buddy having a lot of fun. Oh, baby. Yes, baby. Woo, baby. Having me some fun tonight. Yeah. Well, long tall Sally, she's a species guy. Everything that Uncle John needs. Oh, Been told a long time ago. I've been 
That, by the way, was my favorite Little Richard song. Always was. I played it off of his Here's Little Richard album. That was a big picture of Little Richard on a yellow, orangish covered album. What a great performance. And it, it was incredible the, what he did. And he's still doing it. I think he and, and uh, Jerry Lee are the only two that are still really doing that stuff. Chuck Berry has ca calmed down a little bit, but the rest of them are still at it. And we'll talk about some of them a little bit later. The legend about Cass Elliot from the Mamas and the Papas has survived long after her death back on July 29th, 1994. Now, before I continue, please excuse the, the problem we're having with sound tonight. We're going to fix it as soon as possible. We've had some major problems with the soundboard, and we had to do some switching, and it's not sounding all as good as I would like. Anyway, back to Cass Elliot. The report of this show was originally this, that after her performance at the London Palladium, she was sitting back in her room. She had already called Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas and told them how great the show was and how happy she was. Unfortunately, Cass Elliot was found the next morning dead. And, of course, the first thing they said was she had died and that she had a plate of food, empty food, on her by her bedside and that she had choked to death on a peanut butter sandwich. Then they later changed that to a ham sandwich. The truth is Cass Elliot from an early age was heavy and she ate terribly and her arteries were almost completely clogged and she just plain died in her sleep. It's that simple. Now here's the interesting part and another little bit of mystery which we're going to solve right now. She was in the apartment in the London flat of Harry Nilsson and she had borrowed that and she had died there. Four years later Keith Moon, drummer of Who died in that same room at the same age of 32 years old. Here's Mama Cass. Nobody can tell you There's only one song worth singing They may try and sell you
particular uh, story I have addressed before, but I'll do it again. Sam Phillips sold Elvis's contract to RCA Victor Records for $300,000. Now, let's not forget, $300,000 in 1956 was worth about, I'm guessing, about $2 million today, if you could believe it. And was that an exorbitant sum, $300,000? Nobody at that time ever got $300,000. He was not cheated. He, uh, Sam was not cheated by Colonel Parker or RCA. That was extremely liberal by any standards, especially in 1956. That was an incredible amount of money. I would I would say almost two million dollars by if we were talking in today's dollars. And Sam certainly had artists like Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. They were still with him. Roy Orbison, Charlie Rich. He was not hard up for talent or money, and. Phillips did take some of that money and sunk it into a, a couple of hotels called Holiday Hotel. Uh, soon later, it went national, and they changed the name to Holiday Inn. No, Sam Phillips was never going to get broke. go broke. Take my word for it. Here's Elvis. <laughs> was the one who taught her to kiss the way that she kisses you now. And you know the way she touches your cheek. Well, I 
Now, as most of you know, I am, my two favorite singers are Jackie Wilson and Jerry Lee Lewis, and they're both part of this next story, but there's more than one story here, so we're going to try and tell you what it is and then explain it a little more thoroughly, and then go into our final I don't know how to even describe this final thing, but let's go through the first one first. Alan Freed had been in New York from 1955 through 1959. They were four tumultuous but incredibly fantastic years for him and for rock and roll in general. In December of 1959, just prior to his leaving New York City, Alan had his last rock and roll show. And things just were getting bad. And people, you know what they say, the rats leaving the sinking ship. And it was not the individual acts. It was more or less the record companies themselves that warned their artists to pull out. In any case, a lot of them did and left Alan in kind of a lurch. Now, according to the movie American Hot Wax... It was Jerry Lee Lewis who came on stage and gave him a hug and just to make everybody, you know, think that it was he who did this. I mean, yes, they were good friends, as was natural for that, but it was not him. According to American Hot Wax, it was. It was indeed Jackie Wilson that did that. And he not only did it on stage at the Paramount, he also did it on Alan's final big beat television show when he said goodbye to all his teens, his kids as he called them. So it was, as I said, Jackie Wilson. Unfortunately, Jackie couldn't do the movie because he was just about dead. He had suffered a stroke in 1973 and uh, could not speak, could not move, had to be Instructed how to talk all over again, never did sing again, and that was a shame. But that was the reason that it came out, Jerry Lee Lewis. They just, you know, took a little artistic license, so to say. But that was the way it went down in December of 1959. Someone to care, someone to share, lonely. Someone to miss with your way to heal for me today to be loved to be loved oh, oh what a feeling to be loved some wish to be a king or a some wish for fortune and the fame 
But to be truly, truly, truly loved is more than all of these things. Oh, oh. someone to kiss, someone to miss when you're away to hear.
and to the kids back in the day in New York. He was very close with Alan Freed. He had known Alan way back since the days he was with Billy Ward's Dominoes. So they had a long and very, very close relationship. Anytime Jackie was in New York, he was with Alan Freed. There was no arguing there. One of the biggest lies, <laughs> I guess, I don't want to say lies, but one of the biggest hoodwinking of of information was done basically over the record and recordings session that Screaming Jay Hawkins did with I Put a Spell on You. Truth be told, they said that um, when they were doing the song, all kinds of strange things happened. The lights would go on and off. The music would would stop. Uh, the the uh, power would go on and off, and all kinds of strange things would happen. Of course, that's <laughs> that's what they tried to PR. The truth was, the entire group, from Screaming Jay to the musicians to the people in the control rooms over at OK Records, were stoned out of their minds. I don't like to talk that way because personally I never took drugs in my life but they really really were (laughs) in la la land because when Screaming Jay Hawkins finally (laughs) I guess awoke in the morning they had this fantastic record but he didn't have a clue what he had done and he had to listen to the record over and over again to learn how to do it on stage because he personally oh, phys- physically was there, mentally he was not and both that and Little Demon 
were done under the strangest of circumstances. That's the story of Screamin' Jay Hawkins, and I put a spell on you. I put a spell on you. Because of mine. Stop the things you do. to try and dispel all the lies and myths relating to Jerry Lee Lewis, we could do a 90-minute show. And I might even do that someday. But right now, I want to end our show by, you know, I love Jerry Lee anyway. I want to try and explain a little bit about the stories that were told about him marrying his 13-year-old cousin. All right, let's start with the way it was. First of all, remember, this was rural Louisiana in 1957. Okay, that's number one. Secondly, the story that he married his cousin was not a lie. It just wasn't the whole truth. It was not his first cousin. It was not even his second cousin. It was his third cousin, twice removed. Yes, she was absolutely 13 years old. Now, guys, I'm not going to condone it at that age, you know, when you're older and whatever, but this was Louisiana. You know what? As I look back, I got I to gotta defend that man 
He did what he wanted to do, right or wrong. And he, it's not that he, he didn't rape the girl. He didn't take her out, uh, and, and seduce her. They got married. They, so there's nothing wrong with that. And if, and if parents give their approval, and in a state like Louisiana, it was okay. I remember, look, I mean, I wouldn't have married my wife back then, but uh, today, I mean, when I first got married to my first wife, well, I think uh, my my present wife was uh, eight years old. You know, I mean, things, like that's the way it is around here. You know, and uh, but that's the, not back to the point. It was not that he married this this little girl and wasn't her, his first cousin, but Jerry Lee had simply not remembered to sign his divorce decree. So literally, he was still married to his second wife. Now, Jerry Lee's been married five times. Myra was his third. He had two before, between the time he was 18 and 21. And he married Myra when he was 21. So, it would never even have come out had he remembered to sign his divorce papers, because that's what was brought out. And then when they realized he was, hey, Jerry Lee was just married again, he still officially married to the other one, and let's look into this. And then they found it was 13, and, and some slime reporter got a hold of it, and and nearly ruined his career. Unfortunately for that guy, not for Jerry Lee. Jerry Lee is like the phoenix. He just comes out of the flames and is reborn. And he did that over and over again. The man is legitimately the last man standing. I have a great deal of respect for him. I may not have liked all the things he did all his life, but that man is an iron horse. He is the iron horse of rock and roll. Nobody has gone through as much and is still rocking. Here's Jerry Lee Lewis. Well, I'm walking over here and I'm walking with Spain. I'm rocking babies in the long sand. Till I'm rocking to Africa and roll off the ship. I seen them natives doing a harder looking skip. I parted the weed and looked over the swamp. I seen them a kettle doing a you bang a stomp. The you bang a stomp, the rock and roll. Beats in that thing, I'm about to have a bit told. The you bang a stomp, you bang a stop. When the hip is gonna drive a poo kettle wild. He invited me in He said, I hate bigger gym So you're not to begin Well, they had to make the top off I picked up that beat The crazy thing I sent the shivers to my feet I rock and I roll And I skip on the spot And the keep playing It's don't feel I roll over dead Had a good rockin' time with the cheese dollar made. I was making the time and getting the note. When the 
Hamilton said. Now, son, we gotta go. I said, that's all right. You go right ahead. I live in a Cuban storm until I roll over day. One thing we have to say about Jerry Lee Lewis, he always did things his way. From the very moment he became an adult, when he decided that he'd rather play the devil's music, as his cousin Jimmy Swaggart would say, rather than stay in the clergy. Jerry Lee was just that way. I'm gonna get some real gonna love It'll drive a cool catwalk On a moon Move on down the line On a get me a gal Then I go out on the town Well, the moon Move on down the line I'm gonna get this gal Make some time You're gonna be these quiet You get to be slow But when you start to struggle We gotta go I'm on a move Everything I do, better sure do it good I got a woman mean as she can be Uh-huh, sometimes I think she's almost as mean as me Yeah. 
for old time rock and roll for another week i i hope you've enjoyed this show it's a little different i know and uh, i got on my soapbox a little too much i know that also but i i do apologize and i hope you will uh, forgive the uh, problems with my poor soundboard which after four years of beating it to death on this show has finally succumbed <laughs> to what happens to all equipment as it gets old uh, so who knows where we're going to be next week. Uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see. For everybody here at Old Time Rock and Roll, this is Lee Douglas. Good night, everybody. That's a wrap. Good night, my love. Pleasant dreams and sleep tight, my love. May tomorrow be sunny and bright and bring you closer to me. Before you go, there's just one thing. I'd like to know Is your love Still warm for me Or has it grown cold If you should awake In the still of night Please have no for I'll be there You know I can Please give your love To me dear Only Good night my love Pleasant dreams Sleep tight my love May tomorrow be sunny and bright And bring you closer to me If you should awake in the still of night Please have no fear 
Good night, my love. Pleasant dreams and sleep tight, my love. May tomorrow be sunny and bright and bring you closer to me.